You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Luke 
Luke 19.10 says, When the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so the entirety of the book of Luke is centered around him trying to communicate that the Son of Man, the Son of God, is coming to the world to seek and save the lost. And we'll see that uh, as we read Luke 18 as well. You will see the theme, the, the word, the word that's going to be used is the word justify. He's come to seek and justify the lost. Up to this point in the book of Luke, Jesus had many, um, has been mainly performing miracles and telling parables. Parables are just stories that point to a greater meaning or purpose. Luke records 13 total parables. Um, you probably have heard of these. The parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, the Good Samaritan is a popular one in Luke chapter 10. The rich young, or the rich fool, he calls it. Um, the mustard seed, the great dinner, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the dishonest manager, the widow, the unjust judge, the one we'll see today is the Pharisee and the tax collector, and then ten pounds and the wicked ten. So he tells all these stories in his, uh, in his gospel. And so here we're going to find ourselves in a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and a frame. So let's read Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far out, far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus starts by telling us who he's talking to. He's talking to the people that trusted in themselves. Verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with intent. That word righteous is a religious word. Um, I'm not a big fan of religious words. I've been with them. Uh, but when Jesus says them, we better know what they mean. So that word righteous just means right standing before God. Right standing before God. So for the people that Jesus is speaking to, which, by the way, um, if Jesus looks at you and says, I'm going to tell you a story, you're probably going to be that. So he looks at them and says, let me tell you this story. But when Jesus uses this word righteous, we should know what it means. It means that right standing before God, these people were self-righteous. Meaning, instead of finding the right standing before God in God himself, they want to find the right standing before God in themselves. They were self-righteous. Because of that, they treated others poorly. There's no doubt about why Jesus is telling this story. He is surrounded by people who think they are just fine. And so I want to start by asking a question. 
Who do you trust? Why? Who do you trust and why? Who gets access to everything in your life? Why? Who's the person that you don't even have to think twice about trusting? Why? I'll be specific. Who's the person that fills this blank? I give access to every square inch of my life to blank. If we're honest, the only person that we can confidently say occupies that blank is ourselves. If we were really honest with ourselves, we would be okay with the fact that our name fills that blank. So it might be tempting to think, after reading this parable, and even as we dive into it today, that this is surely for somebody else. This is clearly about so-and-so. They really need to hear this sermon. Maybe it's someone in this room, and you're just really glad they're here for this one. If you're texting somebody right now, the link to our live stream, please stop. Because Jesus is speaking to me and to you. Don't be fooled into thinking that this is just for someone else. And so he introduces us to two characters. The first he introduces us uh, to the people in the parable. Is the first one is the Pharisee. This person would have been um, exactly the person who Jesus was talking to. The person who trusted in their own self-righteousness. It can be helpful to understand how the people... Um, how the Pharisees were viewed when Jesus was actually telling this story. Because when we think of the Pharisee, we think of people that we don't want to be like. Um, you think of the, the Good Samaritan, there's the Good Samaritan, and then there's all these other people that you don't want to be like. And so we automatically think of a person that we don't want to be like. But back, in, back then, the Pharisees would have been the most devoted people to their faith. They had much of scripture memorized. They prayed often. They spent time in the synagogues. These were highly respected people. They would have had those big Bibles with leather bags that zipped. And when you open it, holy smokes, there's all kinds of tabs and highlights and different markers and all kinds of cool stuff in there. It's okay, but you know, we get it. You know what we trust but because of what we know about the Pharisees, we don't actually experience the shock factor that these people would have experienced when Jesus said this. They are thrown off by the fact that Jesus is saying this about the highly regarded Pharisee. So we need to be careful here because it's easy to become like the Pharisee in our contempt for the Pharisee. It's easy to become the Pharisee when we're like, no, at least I'm not like that person. Did you hear the language of the Pharisee using that? It is easy to become like the Pharisee in our contempt for the Pharisee. So this is the first person that he introduces us to in the story. The next is the tax collector. This should sound familiar from um, our series of Matthew we've been going through. Matthew himself was a tax collector before he was called by Jesus. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in this culture. Uh, they were hated because they worked directly with the Roman government. They would collect taxes, and though they didn't make a wage, they would collect extra. They were like forced tips 
to make sure that they made a living. These people were deceitful and extremely unpopular. So those are our two characters. Highly regarded Pharisee, tax collector of ways. And then the parable continues. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Notice what the Pharisee prays. God, thank you I'm not like others. He begins by comparing himself to others. Comparison can lead to a couple of things. Uh, either deep discouragement, because it leads to jealousy and all kinds of wicked thoughts. Or in this case, a deep sense of pride and self-righteousness. It's easy to look good when comparing ourselves to others, isn't it? This might look like this. At least, you know, I might be bad, but at least I'm not bad. I might, you know, I might swear every once in a while, but at least I have like jail anybody. I'm not in prison. You hear? It's easy to minimize our own sin by comparing it to others. Even if we admit that we're not great. Right? We're not great, but at least we're not that not great. Friend, we cannot be learned in this trap. The Pharisee finds his right standing before God and how well he is doing compared to others. This is the essence of self-righteousness. It's not that we compare that it's a problem. It's that like it's that we like comparing ourselves to others versus comparing ourselves to the infinite goodness of God. A missionary by the name of Max Stiles, he, I think he's a planter in Dubai right now. Um, he says that this way there's one problem with self-righteousness. God's standards are not about how we compare with other people. God's standards are about how we compare with him. He is not seeing all those tabs in his Bible are just pointing to the goodness of God. That our goodness compared to his is nothing. The Bible calls our good works disposable rags. What I hope that we will see from this parable is this, that what we bring to God in prayer now what we bring to God in prayer matters. The Pharisee brings all the good things he's done. Do you hear it? Um, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I fast. I give. I'm doing all the things. What the Pharisee brings to the Lord are not bad things in and of themselves. He fasts twice. This is more than the law required. He gives his money. It's not that the, those things are bad. It's that those things can't save you. What we bring to God in prayer matters. In this case, his opinion of his, his opinion of himself, his good deeds. What we bring to God will reveal who we believe we are, and ultimately will reveal what we believe He is like. As I was studying this passage. 
one theologian put it this way, our opinion of ourselves reflects who we think God is. This man who said, I am not like other men, I fast, I give tithes, seems to see God as a big corporate corporation in which he owns a large amount of stock. I'm sure he felt that he would one day have enough stock to be the director of this corporation. Our prayers reveal who we believe God is. And I'll be honest, I tend to pray prayers that um, aren't like this. Um, last night I prayed that would be sick. I pray things like a few weeks ago, God, please don't let my furnace go out. Sinners who deserve punishment, but God is merciful. 
mercy and simply being forgiven instead of being punished where punishment is deserved. We are deeply flawed and sinful. We don't live up to the righteous demands of God. We simply don't. Romans tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians tells us that we are all children of wrath. Tell that to your kids. Every one of us. All the things that you and I have done or thought that is directly against who God is deserves punishment. God cannot look at sin and let it go. God is merciful. He doesn't give us the punishment we deserve. We see later that the punishment we deserve is fully absorbed by Jesus, and now we are declared righteous. That's good news. It's not that it's just for God to embrace. For Him to show mercy to us and forgive us means that it needs to be absorbed by someone else. It's like if I borrowed your car, and I accidentally totaled it. You would probably forgive me for that. But State Farm's gonna pay for it. Friend, where we have made a wreck of our lives, Jesus comes and pays the price to repair it. There are some difficult and even sinful things that have brought, been brought into this room. There's a ton of things to lament over it, even in this room. Marriages that need to be mended. Relationships that need to be reconciled. Secret sins that need to be brought to the light. Longings for things that, we don't, ultimately, that don't ultimately satisfy in addictions. The last couple of weeks with family may have broken trust. And even the longing for this life to be over. Friends, God sees all of that. And you can bring it to him. And he has made a way for it to be reconciled. Those things are hard and even sometimes feel never-ending. Bring them to God. Like the tax collector, be broken by it. That it leads you to the Father. Be broken to the point where it leads you to the Father. He sees that the only thing he can bring to the Lord is his sin. And he appeals not to his own effort in trying to be really good. No, his appeal is rooted in the mercy of God. The Pharisee is saying, love me because, you know, look at me. The tax collector is saying, God, show me mercy because look at you. His prayer says something about God as well. But instead of a corporate ladder to climb, he sees God as the all-loving, all-merciful, all-seeing, all-comforting God of the universe. We want to think that we are saved by grace, but only if we try really hard. If we're honest, we don't want to bring sin to God and ask for his mercies, because we're afraid. A theologian by the name of Karl Barth says it this way, Indeed, we dislike hearing that we are saved by grace and by grace alone. We do not appreciate that God does not owe us anything, that we are bound to live in his goodness, for his goodness alone, that we are left with nothing but great humility. The thankfulness 
of a child presented with many gifts. For we do not like at all to look away from ourselves. To put it bluntly, we do not like to believe. If you would call yourself a Christian in this room, a believer in Jesus, does your devotional life seem stagnant? It's okay, me too at times. Do you feel like you're going through the motions and not experiencing any fruit? It's okay. Do you feel like you're doing, you're just not doing enough and you want to try harder and better this year? It's okay. Join me in committing to pray like this. I mean, every day, bring your sin to the Lord and ask for his mercies and see what he does. Every day. He wraps up the parable by saying, in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone, everyone who, is, who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This man who is banking on the mercies of God is justified. Justified is another religious word, but again, if Jesus says it, let's, let's define it, let's know what it means, at least. It just means to be made right, and in this case, before God. It's like if I punched someone, and I said, yeah, but he, like, in that moment, I'm trying to justify what I did. Even if it's a good, like, yeah, but he's a bad guy. And you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Now take that kind of silly example and multiply it by the infinite mercy of God and now you know what it means to be justified. He takes all of the sinful things and says, yeah, but Jesus. The tax collector went down to his house justified. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This phrase about God showing favor to the humble is a big deal. It shows up multiple times in the scriptures. Um, and I'll read them to you. Proverbs 3.34 says, toward the, sorrow, toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. James 4.6 says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you hear it? The one who is justified is the one who is humble. This tax collector is hopefully, humbly approaching God, probably hopefully as well, with his sin. It's all that he has to offer. Let's be honest. And it's him who goes unjustified. It's him who gets exalted. Not the proud Pharisee. Humility simply means to bring yourself low. The only right response as a sinful human is to bring ourselves low in the presence of God. The tax collector couldn't even look up at him. Here's what we see here. In all of this, we are sinners, and what do sinners need? The gospel. 
We are sinners, and what do sinners need? The gospel. So I want to close our time um, by reading a passage of scripture that points us to the one who models this kind of humility. Because Jesus would not be asking anything of you and me that he wasn't fully prepared to bring to completion. We can read it, read this parable, and fall right back into the trap. Okay, sweet, so all I gotta do is do better at praying this kind of prayer? No. Philippians 2 says this, so if there's any encouragement, I think I have one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and the, of one mind. Do nothing from self, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind amongst, among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And here it is. And being found in human form, he, what, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Good news. Did you hear it? We celebrated this last Sunday at Christmas that he was brought low. He was brought to the lowest. God emptied himself by being, being brought low to the earth. And then he died on a cross. Dying on a cross is the most humiliating and painful way to die. However, Jesus chose to humble himself to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. He knew it was the only way to justify us and bring glory to the Father. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for our sake, that we might become what? The righteousness of God himself. Friends, we can rest in that. We can find hope in that. Because of this good news, the gap between sinners like us and the perfect God of the universe is bridged by our humble servant Jesus, who did not just beat his chest saying, God, take this cup from me before he was betrayed, but was beat to death, death on a cross. But that's not the end of the story. He comes back to life. And is now seated at the right hand of the Father and praying this prayer on my behalf and yours. God, be merciful to them. That one's mine. Because of that, we know that we can now come to the Father and expectantly plead for mercy. He will forgive us. He will justify us. He will remind us of how great he is. In a moment, I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer. Where we're going to ask for this kind of mercy. And for some in this room, this might be the very first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. And I invite you to do it, confidently expecting that the Lord will, will hear you. And he will remind you of this good news. That though sinless, Jesus was slain for the sins of the world.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. In your own words, do you bring all your sin to the Lord? In your own words, do you ask him for his mercy? Thank you. 